Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the AF Playbook Podcast. Something I've been interested in ever since I was a little kid was inventing things. Um, I would try to build little things that solved various problems either around the house or uh, with my own toys or anything that I could think of. I've never actually invented anything as in gone into production before, but it's something that I've been increasingly interested in in the last few years and have been doing a lot of research about it. So I'm really excited about the interview I did today with the inventor of StableCam. Now, um, Eskel is the person who invented it, but he was an affiliate for a lot of years before he did this. So I thought that was really cool to talk to him about how he went from affiliate marketing to actually inventing and uh, getting something out there. He did a successful Kickstarter where um, I think they got funded four or five times over what they were asking for. And it was really cool to talk to him about what skills he learned through affiliate marketing that helped him to um, actually market this. You know, if you just, if you go to the website and you didn't know much about marketing at all, you would think that there was a huge team behind this, you know, between the videos and the press coverage and actually building the product. But he did it pretty much just himself, which I thought was really impressive. Um, and it really shows that the skills you learn through learning affiliate marketing can take you in a lot of different directions and serve you no matter what field you want to get into in the future. So anyway, here is the interview, and I hope you guys like it. Make sure to check out the stable cam because it's really cool. Okay, Isco, welcome to the AF Playbook podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. Thanks for doing this. Um, like I said, I'm really excited about this one because this is something that uh, I'm really interested in these days. So just to start off, could you tell us what your background is and how you got into affiliate marketing? Because I know you're an affiliate for quite a while, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, my first uh, <laughs> first discovery of the internet, when I started college back in 1992, we had uh, internet before there was any web or anything. It was just like, you know, FTP and server stuff. But uh, for many years, I didn't really, you know, go online or do much. I just, you know, had emails and stuff like that and surfed. But it wasn't until like 2004 when I um, actually decided to jump into something. Um, and I started my own web hosting company and um, got some servers, got set up because, you know, I could use some of the stuff I learned in college about server, you know, management and all that. So I uh, started a web hosting company in 2004 and um, a couple of years into it, of course, I had to, you know, I had to learn how to drive traffic to it, you know, to, to get customers. And so I started learning AdWords, um, you know, pay-per-click uh, traffic in the lab. And as that, um, and I started seeing, you know, um, I got some exposure to various service providers. You know, as a as a web host, you have to, you know, deal with all these uh, services that you can offer to your customers. And also, you know, customers come to you and say, hey, you do guys have this in the service, blah, blah, blah. So I started looking into stuff and I saw more and more, you know, affiliate programs being mentioned or referral programs. And, you know, if you refer a customer, we'll pay you, you know, X commission and stuff like that. And so I started getting really interested in that and saying, you know, how does this work? And I, you know, you can actually make money on just referring people to different products or services. And, um, and actually at the same time, I picked up a magazine from a newsstand that was about um, uh, domaining, you know, people buying domains and they're setting up, um, basically, you know, like the guy who bought like candy.com who made tons of money just because he owned the domain candy.com. Yeah. <laughs> people, people just type in, you know, candy, candy in, in their browser bar and he would just go to that domain and it'll be just like a product site with a bunch of links on it. And he would just get paid, you know, a few cents here and there. And I thought that was really fascinating. 
And uh, at, at the same time, I was also getting involved on, uh, in, this is in 2006, I got on the forum in, uh, it was new at the time, called Wicked Fire, which mm -hmm. of course is still around. And um, and of course, in Wicked Fire, there was a lot to talk about, you know, field marketing and, you know, pay-per-click and SEO and AdSense and all this stuff like that. And I was really, really interested in that. And that's how I kind of got into it and took it from there and started, uh, you know, testing some offers myself and, and uh, yeah, getting to know other affiliates and uh, affiliate network owners. And, yeah, kind of grew from there. Wow, that's cool. Did you, going back before that, did you ever have any idea that's what you wanted to do? Did you always want to own your own business or were you planning on going yeah. into some totally different field? Yeah, no, I was, you know, I was, uh, before my whole web hosting company, I was just kind of, you know, a regular day job and stuff. And uh, and I always kind of knew that it, <laughs> it, felt, it didn't feel right for me. I didn't feel like comfortable like, having a job and going, you know, nine to five and mm -hmm. reporting to a boss and all this stuff. It just didn't feel right. And I know most people don't even, you know, most people don't like having a job, of course, but it was, it was a little different because I felt like, you know, I, I really don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I just want to have more control. I want to have um, something that's my own and um, be my own boss, basically. So, uh, you know, I, I saw the web hosting business as, as a way to get out of that and to own my own business. But at the same time, um, the affiliate marketing thing was really, really, really appealing because, you know, um, at the time it seemed like it was, you know, not that much work for, you know, quite a bit of money, potentially, you know, if, if you did it right, you can, you know, you can make, you know, good money with it if you, if you do things right. And if you um, set up, you know, the right campaigns, and I figured, well, this has got to be, you know, a good way to go if you can, uh, if you can manage it and, and do it right. So, yeah, it, it just felt like a natural step for me at the time to, to go into that and try that. Yeah, very cool. Now you mentioned AdWords. What did you specialize in? Any type of affiliate marketing? Did you do, use other traffic sources? Were you just kind of promoting a little bit of everything, or did you specialize in certain niches? Uh, not so much specializing. I just kind of tried a little bit of everything, you know. <laughs> as, <laughs> you know, as, as I think most affiliates do, they just you know they get onto some networks, they sign up for a CPA network typically, and they, you know, they talk to their manager and they say, well, you know, here's this offer, how, how about this and how about that? And, you know, here's this dating offer and here's this, you know, ringtone offer and whatnot. And you kind of just go with the flow. At least that's what I did. I kind of, you know, tested a bunch of different stuff. And, and uh, as far as traffic, yeah, AdWords was my main thing at the beginning because I already knew AdWords from uh, running it to my own hosting company. Yeah. And so that was my main thing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but of course, I also started testing other traffic sources because, as Google, you know, they, they started tightening their rules, and uh, they, at the time, back in 2006 or so, they they were pretty uh, lenient uh, with uh, affiliate marketers. Mm -hmm. you, could, you can get away with a lot of stuff back then, which you cannot do now at all. I mean, they really cracked down on affiliates, and and uh, even though I mean you can still run offers on there, it's it's totally different ballgame now than it was uh, back then. So, um, but even then, you had to start looking at other sources because you know. Um, not just, I mean, AdWords, what I did mainly back then was, um, you know, um, search traffic, not so much display traffic for a while. And some of the offers I was going after were, you know, they were more uh, display traffic oriented. Um, so I had to kind of learn other um, traffic sources as well. And eventually got into um, Facebook ads, of course, when that got, you know, when that came around. Yeah. Facebook ads and, uh, you know, pay-per-view and uh, Bing ads and, um, you know, this uh, self-serve um, media buy platforms like Pulse 360 and all these other um, platforms that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with uh, who listen to this podcast. But yeah, I mean, I, 
to answer your question, I basically tried a bunch of stuff and uh, <laughs> learned a lot of stuff on the way doing those things, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. So, and then uh, I wanted to talk about what led you from affiliate marketing to kind of what you're doing now, but I know there's some stuff in between and you were talking about um, getting into the world of dietary supplements. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I was an affiliate for, you know, quite a few years there. Um, it wasn't until maybe 2010 when I started, I started getting a little fed up with fed up the affiliate marketing stuff because, yeah. you know, and I'm sure people can, people can relate to this. It, it gets frustrating sometimes. It gets really, you know, you really have to stay up on it. And, you know, sometimes from day to day, you don't know if your, your campaign is up and going, you know, you, mm -hmm. you can, you can wake up one morning and I mean, you could be making, you know, hundreds or even thousands of dollars a day and all of a sudden you wake up and boom, there's nothing, you know, your offer went down or <laughs> the traffic source, you know, they canceled your account or something. It was just so out of control. You had, yeah, there's almost no control. I mean, I shouldn't say no control, but almost no control because mm -hmm. you rely on other uh, parties such as the affiliate network or the offer owner or the traffic source and stuff like that. All these things are, <clears throat> you kind of depend on them. And so I got a little sick of that being in, being just so dependent on that. And it was, I felt it was pretty unstable for me. I, and I, I can see how it's different for guys who are, you know, single and don't have a family. But for me, you know, I have a wife and kids to feed, you know, and stuff. And um, it's a little different when you, you can't take that big of risks when you're, uh, when you have a family and kids, you know, put food on the table. And um, if I was single, maybe I would have, you know, done it longer. I, you know, I could take bigger risks. So, you know, who cares if I, you know, I spend all the money on the traffic and and I can only eat ramen noodles for a week. Who cares, all right. <laughs> sure. If uh, if other dependencies, you know, who depend on you, then uh, you have to be a little more careful. So uh, there was those are several reasons why I kind of stepped out, I stepped away from that, and and um, I started thinking about other ways to uh, to make money that would be more uh, stable long term and also. Uh, more ownership for me, for my, you know, for myself to uh, to, to have control. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess around 2011 or so, I picked up a book. Um, you may have heard it's called The Millionaire Fast Lane yeah. uh, mm -hmm. by MJ DeMarco. And it's an amazing book. Um, it's really incredible. It's, it was just an eye opener for me. Kind of, it, it. I mean, I knew, I basically knew a lot of the stuff he was already talking about. But I just, when you when you read that book, it really hits you in the head and says, you know, this is, <laughs> you know, this is really. It's, he, he's really got a lot of points here. You know, it's, it's, it's basically what I, what I needed to hear is that, you know, you need control, you need ownership, you need to have, um, um, you know, as little dependencies as possible, you know, to, to get the control and, and to scale a business. Um, and I really, that really hit home for me. So uh, after that, I started looking into, yeah, you mentioned the, the dietary supplements. I started looking at making my own product and that's when my first, uh, my own real product came about was that I, I basically created a, a dietary supplement, started talking to some guys who had done it before, you know, I started learning about, um, you know, how, how these things are set up, um, how to do the labeling, how to do um, everything that goes with that um, to have your own offer, basically. Because I mean, it was, it was an advantage to having known, you know, the affiliate marketing world and having run, um, I ran similar or should say, you know, supplement offers as an affiliate, I kind of knew a um, little bit of the ins and outs of that. And so um, to step into the owner side was, I think, easier for me than someone who had done nothing before and, you know, um, 
if I had come from just a day job and all of a sudden try to you know get into supplements, it would have been harder. Yeah. Then uh, <laughs> no, I had the I had the advantage of knowing you know some of that before and also running traffic of course. So yeah. 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 So yeah, that that's really cool. Um, so when you got into that, I mean, there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that go into that, you know, like there's, um, sourcing the product and yeah. like you said, labeling it. And yeah. did you, you mentioned that you had contacts, I'm assuming from like affiliate marketing that had done that before and that kind of helped you get into it. Yeah, both. Yeah. I actually had, you know, over the years as an affiliate, you get a lot of, I mean, you stay on forums, you get friends and you, yeah. you meet, you network with people and you meet a lot of uh, cool guys in, uh, in different industries. Like, you know, a bunch of guys doing dating, I know a bunch, you know, specialized in supplements and guys who specialize in leads and all that stuff. And, and, uh, which was an, another really good thing about, uh, my years as an affiliate, I think was to, to build this huge network of friends and connections that I have that I could turn to, uh, for when, you know, whenever I need something, I can turn to these guys and say, Hey, you know, um, how do I do this? Or, you know, do you, you, you mind helping me or, and of course I want to help them back. And I sometimes help people a lot. And I, if people come to me for questions, I try to help them as, as good as I can. But you know, the awesome thing about networking is that you can help, help each other. And, um, you have this awesome resource, um, out there that, you know, you know, instead of having to go on Google and searching and reading, you can actually reach out to your buddy and say, Hey, you know, how do I do this? So, uh, yeah, it was uh, basically a lot of a lot of friends I knew and uh, people in the industry, uh, network owners, uh, supplement owners, other affiliates. We kind of filled in the pieces of the puzzles for me that I needed to uh, to get my own stuff started. That's so, yeah. yeah, that's a great point. I mean, as affiliates, I think um, a, a lot of affiliates are they're not always super social, you know, so I think it's hard for a lot of them to like make friends or do networking, but that stuff, you know, like you were talking about, that's so important. I mean, you can just, yeah. It, yeah, it can help your business immeasurably. Oh, tremendously. Yes, very much so. And again, I can't stress enough. I should say it again, that uh, helping other people is really, it's, it, it'll help yourself in the long run if you help people, because it, it comes back to you. It's like almost like karma, you know, like, yeah. you know, what you give out will eventually come back to you. And I've always tried over the years on, on forums, any forum I've been on, I try to be, you know, post helpful threads and posts and I try to reach out to people or if people reach out to me, I'll help them and answer questions whenever I have time. And, and uh, you know, it really pays off in the end because, you know, when it's my turn to need help, then uh, those people have no problems helping me. Then, you know, they, they remember me and say, yeah, you helped me out. Uh, you know, here's, uh, here's the connection you need or here's, uh, you know, this and that and the other. So it's definitely something uh, I'd recommend for everybody to to, to build a huge network of, of uh, you know, business friends and acquaintances and whatnot. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, um, just one more question about the supplement thing. Were you um, were you handling everything yourself? Like the um, were you sourcing the product? I mean, did you actually stock it yourself? And how did did you have <coughs> offers on networks or did you sell it on like Amazon or other marketplaces? Uh, so uh, yes, yeah, far as sourcing, I uh, I got in touch with a, um, a supplement manufacturer through a through a friend of mine who he's uh, he's owned his uh, own supplement company for many years. So he he referred me to his, uh, he referred me to his um, manufacturer and set me up with them. And uh, through them, I was able to source the stuff I needed because I did all the research myself. I 
kind of um, had an idea for a product or stuff in the product that I wanted to uh, you know make, and uh, researched the ingredients and uh, and uh, of course asked them if they thought this would be a good combination of ingredients and all that, and they mm -hmm. sourced it for me, and um, went from there to deciding to label myself. Um, because I always like to work with graphics. I've been doing graphics on computers since about 1991, I think. Okay. My first uh, Amiga computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Many years. So yeah, I was like working with graphics. I designed my own label. I designed my own website. And um, yeah, I got on Amazon.com, started selling there, and also uh, tried setting up, uh, you know, some kind of um, a funnel on my own website for, for this supplement, so that um, because I wanted to have a recurring income from it, not just you know one-time sales. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't want to be one of those offers that are kind of you know shady and you know <laughs> get people to get into these rebuilding schemes that uh, they get charged. Yeah. I didn't want to do that either. So it's all legit. I just wanted to have something you know proper, something that actually works for people and uh, something that people want to come back for. So it's it's a quality product, and people will, um, and and people do actually come back for it and ask for it. You know, how can I get on a subscription plan? And you know, how can I get this again and stuff like that? And so. Uh, I think, you know, if you think quality, if you think value, I think this, the big keyword here is value. If you, if you provide value to people, and that's something else that uh, MJ DeMarco mentioned his, uh, in his book many times too, is if you create value, um, it, it's, it's your golden ticket. I mean, that's what people want value for their money, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you can definitely make money short term by not providing value, by trying to achieve people and try to, you know, have these... Uh, shady offers and shady products, and in the short term that will work for for some time. But over over the long term, that's not going to get you very far because eventually people catch on and they move on to the next you know uh, company or product. So I uh, had the philosophy that I always want to provide value and uh, long term, you know, build long term uh, income. For so, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I set up a recurring, uh, uh, you know, rebuilding that's uh, yeah, getting people what they want. Yeah. That's cool. Was was it just you? Did you have any partners in the supplement business? Uh, and not this first one that I, uh, the one I made myself. I made a supplement. Uh, the one I've been talking about now is the one I made, and uh, it's still out there. I'm actually about to get a new batch of it now to start selling it in because I've been on hiatus with it for a few months. But uh, but yeah, I did actually get into another partnership for uh, about six months, I guess it was, um, with a good friend of mine who I mentioned earlier, um, and we. We ran a lot of uh, supplements uh, through his company uh, on Amazon.com, mm -hmm. and uh, we developed some methods there to uh, to kind of um, build it fast. You know, build uh, um, build up good listings. Uh, we figured out how to basically um, uh, how to say this. We, our products were really visible on Amazon uh, pretty quickly, and uh, yeah, got a lot of a uh, lot of sales. Uh, in a fairly short time there. Now, I know you can't, I know uh, your methods, like you are saying earlier, are um, kind of proprietary, so I'm not asking you to spill any secrets, <laughs> but <laughs> is yeah. there any general tips you can give, like if you're selling, whether it's supplements or anything else on Amazon, to kind of, I don't know, get it in front of people's eyes more? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, and I've been actually teaching this too. We had a, on, on the, uh, uh, another four-month part of it, we have a, a coaching. I've been having a coaching classes basically for students who want to learn how to optimize their Amazon listings and sell more on Amazon. Okay. And some of the things uh, that, we, that we teach there is um, basically has a lot to do with your listing itself. I mean, your listing is everything. It's basically your landing page. You know, I think of it as a landing page that people come to. They see, you know, people go on Amazon, they browse, you know, hundreds of products and 
you'd be amazed at how many basically shitty, excuse my English, but <laughs> shitty product listings are out there. You know, there's mm -hmm. people don't put much thought into pictures or their bullet points, you know, they suck or their titles are short and uh, the description is just like a block of text. And there's really so much you can do with that that uh, really, really, really improve uh, your chances. So some of the tips I can give is like, you know, you, you really need to optimize your title just like you would for, you know, normal SEO for, for a landing page or um, any website basically is that you can you, uh, fully use um, all the characters that they allow you to use in, in the title and in the bullet points. They, they allow you to use, I think, 500 characters per bullet point and you have five bullet points you know, in your listing. So use them, you know, mm -hmm. um, do some keyword research and put that in there. I mean, you, know, you don't want to look, make it look spammy and ugly. You want to make it look readable and nice too, but um, yeah. To get all the right keywords in the right places and have a really, really good image. That's another really important thing is that put some thought into your image and, and, and test. You know, you can, you can always change it up. You don't have to stick with your initial image. You can test it up and see, um, you know, what seems to work. But now, sadly, Amazon doesn't provide much analytics and stuff. So you yeah. can't see, you know, conversion rates in one versus the other. But, I mean, you can, you can kind of see on your sales, you know, what, uh, what effects these things have. And, and uh, yeah, and, uh, I'd also suggest you know pushing your listing with uh, with Amazon uh, internal pay per click ads. They have their own little pay per click platform in there that you can uh, start off a brand new listing with, get some traffic to it. Even externally, you can send you know Facebook ads to it if you wanted to, and, and boost the traffic with it that way. And the more um, the more sales you get, basically, uh, the more you're going to climb in their rankings. So it basically works on both on keywords and on, on sales too. So Sales is uh, number one, and then also uh, a good listing. You know, you'll climb up, and before you know it, you'll have sales and uh, repeat uh, repeat sales too. Now, how do you deal with reviews on Amazon? I know um, just in the very little that I've done, but what I've seen, I mean, there's so many books. I know it's a big problem with books getting just tons of fake reviews. You know, the book goes yep. live and they'll have like 500 five-star reviews. Right. Um, how do you deal with that? It doesn't seem like Amazon does a very good job policing it. Um, I, I don't um, know. They actually do, but the, <laughs> the problem, the thing is that they do police um, the four and five-star reviews. Mm -hmm. Periodically, they will, I mean, you can, there's ways to get tons of fake reviews real fast and you can do that. Sure. But they are really good at catching that within, I would say, three to four weeks, those reviews will be gone again because Amazon has routines that are, uh, run um, on a regular basis to clean out all these fake, you know, four and five stars. The problem is when you have, like, let's say you go into uh, um, some competitive fields like dietary supplements or something that's really competitive on Amazon. And uh, before you, I mean, sooner or later, you're going to have, you know, one or two star reviews. That's inevitable. I mean, almost all products have some yeah. negative reviews. And especially if you're in a competitive market, you'll have competitors who will actually go to your listings, you know, just try to target you and, and, and put some one and two star reviews on you. The, the issue is that Amazon, they do not take away these negative reviews, no matter what, e even if you prove to them that this was from, from a competitor, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can actually send them links, say, hey, you know, look at this, this fake account, they've been posting one star reviews on this and that and the other, and they'll say, well, you know, sorry, we can't do anything about it. And you'll, you know, you can have, you know, 15 one stars, and all your um, your <laughs> good reviews can be yeah. hacking. So yeah, it's that's that's one challenge that uh, you really have to deal with uh, 
you know, balancing out your reviews because it, reviews is everything. They're everything on Amazon. People mm -hmm. reviews, people filter their searches by reviews. You can say, you know, I want to see all, you know, only show me the products that have at least four stars or more, that sort of thing. And so you really have to stay up on, on the reviews and make sure you have a good, uh, you know, four or five star average. And um, uh, as far as ways to do that, yeah, I mean, you have family and friends, of course, the traditional way to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, give up promo copies or promo, uh, you know, units or whatever you have to send out. For books, it's easier because you can just, it's electronic, but physical products is a little harder. You have to, you know, actually send something out or ask friends and family to just post a review. I mean, it doesn't have to be a verified review, of course, but um, it helps. And um, yeah, I mean, I could probably talk to you now another hour about this, but uh, it's <laughs> yeah. really fascinating. There's a lot of stuff you can do with all that. Like I said, I can't really disclose too much of what we learned through our process because we learned a lot of stuff that can somewhat bypass some of this. And um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I'll leave no. it at that. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> now let's talk about what led you from there to your current venture. So you're doing the supplements and everything yeah. and that's going well. And then how did you get into um, your newest invention or endeavor? Yeah, okay, so from there I started, well, I had this idea for a while, actually, before I started a supplement, I've had this, because actually since I was a little kid, I've kind of been, I've, my dream was to be an inventor someday. Okay. <laughs> I used to play with like Legos, you know, all day long, and I used to build, build all these crazy, you know, machines and inventions from Legos. And I thought, you know, when I, when I grow up, I'm going to become an inventor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it wasn't until like the last few years now that I thought, well, I had these ideas written down. And sometimes I'll think of stuff and I said, well, it's got to be a better way to do this or that or something. And uh, so, yeah, so I, you know, I, like everyone else, I watch a lot of YouTube videos sometimes and watch, you know, funny videos. And mm -hmm. you watch shows like uh, American Funniest Videos or uh, Ridiculousness on MTV and you see all these super shaky videos. People are holding their cell phones in their hand and, and they're laughing or something when they're filming and you can you cannot even see what's going on because it's so shaky and yeah. and so i <laughs> thought well it's got to be a better way to you know stabilize video because in this modern day and age we have all these amazing cell phones you know the the iphones and the you know samsung galaxies they're just super you know high definition cameras with all these fancy you know image processing and stuff built in but we still haven't figured out how to stabilize people's shaking hands <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. i mean and yeah, they do have some kind of image stabilization in, built in these days, you know, to some degree, but that's only going to get you so far. I mean, you know, if, you, you know, if you're moving about or running and stuff, it's still going to get really shaky. So I, I really wanted to create a solution to it. And I first started looking for something that I could buy myself so I can, you know, test it on my own phone. But I actually really couldn't find anything. There's, there are other, you know, there's some stabilizers out there that are, you know, made for cameras and of course in, in Hollywood they have the the steady cams for the, the Hollywood films they use mm -hmm. you know, five or ten thousand dollar rigs they use um, and of course there are some lower um, uh, or cheaper uh, consumer solutions for like the DSLR cameras and stuff like that yeah. but they're still running you know like 150 to 300 dollars and they're kind of clunky and big and so I wanted to make something that was for cell phones that people could you know anyone can just carry with them and, and it was easy to use so you don't have to you know, understand counterbalancing and nuts and bolts and all this stuff. So that's how I came up with, you know, making something that uh, would solve all those problems. And, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe I can make it into products. So that's how the, the, the stable cam was born. I created um, basically a stabilizer for smartphones and GoPro cameras. And it's called a stable cam. Yes. Yeah. S-T-A-Y-B-L-C-A-M. 
So how did you, I, I mean, how did you go from idea to um, actually, well, first describe actually what it is, like physically, what, what okay, is it? Okay, so it's basically a, um, uh, it's a little hard to describe that to pictures and visuals, but yeah, it's basically you hold it in your hand. It's, uh, it looks almost like an umbrella, in a, a collapsed umbrella, but you can actually pull it out uh, like a telescope because it has an actual telescope inside of it. So you pull it out and you, you hold it in the middle with your uh, one hand. Uh, it has a gyroscopic kind of gimbal type of handle mm -hmm. that ensures that it doesn't, um, you know, shake as much and it doesn't, it can't move as much when you're holding it in the handle because um, this is the three axis design that allows for your hand to move without the axis to move. And the axis basically holds your camera. So you put your your iPhone or your cell phone on top of it and um, record video and the the, the uh, long telescopic axis basically remains firmly still while your hand can move and uh, thereby you eliminate a lot of the, in the shaking and jittering and um, and you can also actually use it upside down so you can film uh, really low to the ground like you can you know literally film video like an inch off the ground and still really stable you can follow your cat or dog around the house and uh, see what they see basically it's pretty cool so how did you go from idea to uh, physically building the product that's that's something i'm interested in knowing yeah yeah that was an interesting process too i mean they, of course this thing didn't exist and so i had to come up with how to solve the problem yeah and um from my days with my lego bricks uh, <laughs> days of thinking of stuff and solutions i I started, you know, writing down on paper some ideas and concepts, and started playing around some uh, bits and pieces of wood I had in my garage. I took some scrap wood and scrap plastic and put some things together and kind of tested it. And you know, you know, how would this work and how would that work? And what if I do this? What if I change that? And basically, just started playing with stuff. You know, started cutting wood and cutting plastic and gluing and taping and and testing. You know, it was a lot of uh, testing going on. But uh, I built a prototype, uh, a little rough one, but it, it worked. And um, figured, well, hey, you know, what if I make it better? If I can uh, improve uh, instead of these wooden parts and stuff, because that's it's not going to sell in a store, <laughs> obviously. But yeah, and it needs to look good too. It's you know, I can't just have this crappy looking thing. So, <laughs> uh, so I start. I sat down and actually made some proper drawings because I had um, actually in uh, in high school I took two years of uh, technical drawing and engineering, and so I knew how to draw, you know, technical drawings uh, for um, engineers that would make something. Out of, out of a drawing okay. and so I make these drawings and I sent them to uh, uh, to some uh, companies in China who and asked them basically can you can you make this you know is there a way to make these parts for me and, and they did so yeah they, they made parts in, uh, in a limited quantity so I can test and see what this would look like and feel like and if it would work right and, and sure enough it did and uh, yeah so the process was basically make, make a prototype um, uh, get a proper, get proper drawings and see, uh, you know, talk to engineers, talk to uh, manufacturers and, and see if they can make it, you know, figure out the right materials and figure out the right, you know, weights and measurements and, and um, yeah, that was. Yeah. Ahead. So um, just backing up for a second, when you, when you were making the prototype, I mean, you mentioned <clears throat> knowing how to do some technical drawings, but did you have any kind of engineering background or did you just purely come up with, was it like, I, I think this would be a good way to stabilize the camera? Yeah, pretty much. Really? <laughs> pretty much. It was a lot, of, a lot of intuition, basically. Like, wow. 
yeah, you kind of, uh, I just hard to explain, but like in my head, I kind of had some ideas and then um, figured, well, if, you know, if the camera is up here and if my hand is here, what needs to be in the middle of that, you know? Um, and basically I knew all the problems that I need to solve and keep them in mind the whole time. And um, so like along the process, I couldn't go, I, I forced myself to always think about every problem I wanted to solve. I wanted to pr solve the problems of, you know, the, 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 comp the competition is really clunky and big, so I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. The competition is, you know, hard to use. I didn't want that. The competition is expensive. I didn't want that. So I needed to keep these things in mind. Like you need it to be easy. You need it to look good. You need it to be affordable. And all along the way, when I was engineering and making prototypes and parts, all these things were constantly in my head. Like, like uh, for example, instead of making one part, I have to think, well, is this part going to be expensive to make? If if I change it, it's gonna is it gonna affect cost in any way? If I make this part this way, is that gonna affect you know uh, how it handles or works? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's it's, a, it's an ongoing thing thinking about um, you know all these aspects along the way. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, if you if you hadn't taken the technical drawing classes and you know if you didn't if you didn't know how to do that, what yeah. would you have done? Well, yeah, people ask me that too, and I, I, I still would have gone ahead. I, I, I probably would have just, you know, made some rough drafts on paper and, and uh, found some people who could uh, help me make some proper drawings. And I've actually had people come to me and say, hey, you know, I have no background in, in technical drawing. I have no idea. I can't draw, you know, a straight line. I have no <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I always tell them, well, it's, it's not a problem. It's, it's, you know, for me, it happened to be easy for, because I knew that, but it, that shouldn't be, a, it shouldn't be a hindrance for you to, uh, you know, you can just find someone, if, even on Fiverr.com, you can go on Fiverr and find guys who can make your drawings for five or 10 bucks. Yeah. All you do is, you know, you know, take a pen and paper, draw something on, on, uh, on a napkin or paper, and you take a picture of it, you send it to the guy and explain, hey, this is roughly what I want, and uh, can you make this for me? Can you draw this in, in on the proper, uh, you know, how it needs to look for an engineer? So, uh, you know, definitely that's not a, shouldn't shouldn't stop you from going. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a that's a really good point. Okay, sorry if these questions are kind of basic, but um, no it, it, you went from drawings. Then did before you went to China, did you said you found engineers, or was that? Well, I, I should say uh, engineers at the uh, manufacturers in China because okay. they have their own, yeah they have their own engineers, and, and you can basically um, when you when you get quotes from them, they say hey, we'll you know we'll talk to our engineer about it. He's going to get back to you, blah blah blah, mm -hmm. and and that's what they did. You know they have their own in-house engineers that will, um, and they might come back and say hey, well you know if you make it this way, that's going to make it harder, it's going to make it costly. So how about this instead? And so uh, you learn things along the way that. Um, that you know from their input too that uh, can steer you in the right direction for for manufacturing and I'm, I'm still actually going through that now because right now we're in the middle of actually proper manufacturing the, the product and so every day almost i'm back and forth with the, the engineer here in the united states uh, where we're going to manufacture it and they go over all these details every day like you know uh, how is this going to fit in the mold or mm -hmm. uh, we need to tweak this part a little bit because it doesn't quite fit right or you know this material might you know might be a little too hard or too soft or something like that so yeah definitely you know, stay in close touch with the, the engineers because they really know uh, what you can and cannot do and how do you find these places in china i know that there's there's a lot of places over there and that's where a lot of people go to manufacturing but how do you first of all find these places and then how do you know if it's um i guess a reputable 
place to use? Yeah, I get that question a lot, a lot too, Ashley. It wasn't that hard. I mean, you would think it would be hard to go <laughs> find mm -hmm. kind of Because, I mean, it's easy enough to find. I mean, anyone can go on Alibaba.com uh, right. and search for, you know, cell phone covers or, you know, bag, you know backpacks or whatever you want to have sent. But uh, what I did, actually, I still went to Alibaba.com, but they have something called, um, I forget what it's called exactly, but basically you can request for a quote. So instead of searching for existing products, you can say, hey, um, can anyone make me, you know, X, Y, Z? You know, here's what I need. Here's some rough drawings. Uh, it's going to be made out of this material. And um, I need, you know, I need this made. And then basically that's what I did. And within like 24 hours, I had, I think, like 12 or 15 companies. Oh, wow. Yeah, like they were like, well, yeah, we can make this. You know, we can do that. And, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it's, you know, I got all their contact information, emails, and Skype. I had you know a lot of Skype talks with them, and uh, it, it doesn't take that long before you figure out who's serious and who's not so serious. And uh, you can also you, know, you can kind of tell sometimes by their website or if they've been in the business for a long time, sure. kind of how they talk to you if they're really really pushy. I, I just that you know turns me off. I just rather rather have someone who's more serious and not so pushy. And uh, yeah, yeah, you take it from there, talk to them, and figure out what they can actually do. And um, but one thing I have to say is that be aware that a lot of them actually, I would almost say most of them, when because they know that a lot of people come from here in the states, especially or Western countries, yeah, and they know that they typically have you know money to spend, and they will they will quote you really really high at first, yeah. And so I definitely recommend for anyone who's listening to uh, if you're going to get quotes from China. Uh, you can definitely, definitely negotiate those prices they give you, and and uh, you know, don't be afraid to say, hey, well, you gave me the quote for so and so much. Well, I talked to this other you know manufacturer who gave me you know less than half of that. So what can you do about that? You know, can you offer me something better? No, and uh, of course, there comes a point where you can't push them any further. But I'm not saying you should push them you know 90% off or anything. But yeah. there's really room for improvement for uh, for negotiations with uh, most of these guys and. Uh, because they, they want to make money, but they they uh, they, they will try first to uh, go a little high on you with the, the numbers. So yeah, sure. something to keep in mind. Now um, I know this probably really varies by the type of product, so I don't know if this is even answerable. But what kind of budget do you need to um, take an idea to China and get either a prototype made or a you know small batch manufactured? I mean, what are what are you looking at? Just like a few thousand, if tens of thousands, hundreds. Of I would actually say for me, I think generally it doesn't have to cost that much. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, again, it depends on the product. Yes, but I mean, unless you're going to make something like electronic or something that's really advanced, uh, that can get costly, of course. Yeah. But as long as you're sticking to anything that's made out of you know plastic, metal, um, um, you know, it doesn't have you know 200 parts inside of it. Yeah. Um, I think you can really get far with less than a thousand bucks. I mean, hmm. five hundred to ten thousand bucks, maybe even less sometimes. I mean, in my case, uh, I made the prototype myself. Uh, like I said, from scrap pieces in my garage. Yeah. Uh, the drawings didn't cost me anything because I did it myself. If you if you do have someone doing it for you, I, I mean, five, ten, maybe twenty bucks for proper drawings on Fiverr.com, you know. And um, and what I did too was that. I, because when I, when I talk to these manufacturers in China, you know, I said, can you make this for me? And they'll say, well, yeah, we can, but you're going to have to order, you know, 1,000 units. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm not quite ready for that yet, and I only need, you know, so many because I'm, 
I'm running a test, you know, to test the market basically, which is, it wasn't a lie. I was actually doing that too. I, was, I needed a small quantity so I can test if people want this thing in the first place. So, so I told them, you know, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to order more later, but right now I just need to have, you know, uh, 15, 20, 25 units so I can you know, do a small test. And, uh, and they'll work with you and do that. Uh, some won't and some will say, well, sorry, but that's not going to happen. Well, then you move on to the next guy who says, yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, you can, you know, work on small quantities. Um, uh, you can do it on a shoestring budget for the most part. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to cost that much. I mean, you get it shipped over to, to your home and and uh, before you know it, you can have an actual a product that you've thought of and made. So, yeah, that's good. It doesn't have to be costly. Sorry, did you say that um, you knew what materials you wanted it to be made out of, or did the engineers help you with that? I kind of knew that. I had, a, yeah, I knew that. I, I picked the materials myself. Um, okay. It's only now, recently, that one of the materials have been changed up because of some recommendations that was given by the engineer here. Recently, he said, "Well, your original model had this, but I think we really should do this instead because it would definitely work better and be more cost efficient." So I listened to them and. Of course, agreed that uh, that would be good to do, but yeah, generally I did uh, have uh, the products. I mean, the materials picked out and kind of knew what would work. Okay. Yeah. Did you have to patent this idea before you went to um, anybody yes. with it? Yeah. Yes, um, I definitely recommend that. And um, you, the thing is, you do not have to have a full patent to do that because a full patent is going to cost you easily five, yeah. six, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. But the good thing is, and the good news is that you can do what's called a provisional patent. So you okay. file for a provisional patent, which basically guarantees you the first rights to this idea for 12 months. Mm. And so you have the first, because right now you, it used to be here in the United States, you could, um, you could be the first to, um, what's it called, first to, uh, first to invent, I think, or first to, I forget the term. Mm. They changed this now to first to file. So that means you have to be the first person to file for the idea. And when you have done that, you have the rights to that idea until you apply for a proper patent. This provisional patent only costs, I think it's, I think it was $125 is uh, what it costs to apply for one. Uh, you can do it yourself or you can have a patent attorney do it for you, which will cost you a little more because, of course, the attorney is going to take his share. So I think if you go to a site like LegalZoom.com, it's like uh, five, six hundred bucks, I think, for the whole thing. Um, I did it myself. It wasn't really that hard. I mean, I, I just Googled a bunch of examples on provisional patents. I read up some things about what you should and shouldn't do in, in, a, in a application. And I already had done the drawings myself and, um, and I wrote it up myself and uh, filed it and sent it in. So, uh, but yeah, back to what you asked me, definitely you should, you should do this before you start, uh, disclosing any designs or anything, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't post any pictures of my, of my idea anywhere on the internet or anywhere to, to anyone yeah. until I had that uh, provisional patent file because I knew, because if you, if you do that, if you, you know, if you start posting pictures, hey, look at this thing I made and this and this and other, and then someone can actually legally then take that idea and, and file before you. And then even if it was your idea first, well, hey, the guy who filed, he, the guy who was the first to file is the one who owns it. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's really scary. So uh, yeah, file first, and then you can start talking about it and showing people. You said that that um, initial patent lasts for a year. Is that right? Yes, just you have 12 months. And after that, you have to, you have to either uh, reapply again 
uh, or if to start the whole you know pa proper patent work. So mm, okay. that's uh, yeah. And this, by, by the way, I can mention too. There's there's two types of patents. There's utility patents and there's design patents. So utility patents are for anything that you know describes basically how t your product works, how it functions, what it does. Whereas design patents are more for something that describes you know what what it looks like if it's a you know specific type of clothing maybe or a specific type of design of a wristwatch or something like that. What describes what it looks like? If you want to patent that, you have to do a design patent. Okay. And yeah. So that's different than the utility patent. Do you ever need both or just one or the other? Yes. Uh, yeah. You, so I really, I mean, I'm not an attorney, so you shouldn't take sure. <laughs> advice here, but I definitely recommend talking to uh, someone who, uh, an attorney or lawyer that's uh, working with patents, uh, ask them because it really, really depends on the product. It can be, sometimes you'll need both. Sometimes you actually need several patents for the same product mm -hmm. to cover different areas and uh, different pieces of it that might need its own patent or something like that. So definitely talk to someone um, and uh, don't just take my word for this. <laughs> but yeah, the very least you should do is to file for a traditional patent. That's uh, number one. And then you yeah. go from there. Okay, that makes sense. So if that initial patent lasts a year, do you have to, and the full patent, um, it can take a while to do. So do you yeah. just keep extending that yearly patent until you get the full patent or no, no. so once you've started the process with a full patent then that's you're already you're kind of good to go then because then you're the process is started then with the ah, okay anyway so you don't have to worry about it as soon as you start that paperwork and everything uh you're kind of in the in the pipeline and it's just a matter of waiting and stuff so you're already then you know secured for having it but just don't let don't let that first 12 months go by and then forget about it because then you know someone technically could <laughs> just snap it up and hmm. Let's say you invent something and you know you you invented something uh, and you filed for the provisional patent and you let your 12 months go by and then two months later i see your idea on facebook or whatever yeah and i know oh i heard from a guy or someone like, oh he, yeah he had his provisional but expired and i'm like oh really hmm, i'm gonna apply for that <laughs> ah. so i go behind your back and i file it and all of a sudden i'm now the owner and inventor of your idea you know wow that's Just just know, knowing what I know about people, I'm assuming that happens a lot. Yeah, I've heard actually. I've heard some horror stories uh, that's happening. It's, uh, yeah, you, you got to be careful because I've heard some really bad examples. People actually got um, got patents for something that someone else invented, and they, they you know, the original guy couldn't fight it because, you know, what could he say? You know, hey. Um, now, granted, I said, and this is recent too. I think it was two years ago they, they changed this where I said, um, United States changed it to first to file, which is mm -hmm. how the rest of the world uh, works too. They have a first to file system, which I don't really like, and a lot of people don't like this, but it, it is the way it is now. It used to be the way here in the United States where if you could prove that you were the first guy to invent it or had the idea originally, let's say you could prove that you had you know, drawings, you had uh, pictures taken of the, your products you know, years ago, uh, maybe you even started selling it. If you could prove that, then you would actually get the first rights to it, but not anymore. So now it's just first to file, meaning whoever files first has, has the rights to it first. So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's uh, <laughs> crazy. Have you ever looked into licensing your ideas? Uh, yes, I have, and um, still something I might consider at some point. Uh, it's definitely, uh, uh, definitely a good model, I think, too, for. A lot of products, and mine could be as well. I mean, you have 
for those who aren't familiar with licensing, basically, if I wanted to license my product, I would go to a you know big company and say, hey, um, here's my product. I have a you know, patent or a provisional patent on it. Uh, you know, people want to buy this thing. I have pre-orders. Um, would you guys be interested in selling this for me? And basically, they, what they would do, let's say I go to the big company like uh, Apple or something. You know, just an example. Let's say I go to Apple and they say, yeah, cool, uh, we'll sell your product for you. And they will take care of all the manufacturing, all the marketing, all the logistics, shipping, distribution, everything. They will do everything for you. And all you do is basically collect a check in the mail for royalties. So you get a percentage of sales and that's it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, really cool for other products, um, you know, it's a lot of people to do that because they didn't have to worry about anything anymore. Uh, like that. So, I mean, it has this, I think it has its pros and cons though. I mean, I mean, you could probably or potentially make more doing it yourself, mm -hmm. but you could also potentially make more doing licensing. It, uh, it, again, it depends on the product and, and the market and, uh, you know, what the need is for this product out there. You know, um, True. Um, if, you, if you're going to do it yourself without licensing, of course, you do have to take care of the marketing. You do have to care, take care of the manufacturing and, and everything else. But, um, of course, you have more of the profits too. So it's you have to kind of weigh in, uh, you know, each, each side of that point to see what uh, what's best for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There, I read a good book on that not too long ago called One Simple Idea by Stephen Key. Yes. Um, Very yeah, good that book. Was, that was good, kind of a whole introduction and, and more into that. So if any of you out there are interested in licensing, that might be a good place to start. Yes, I can definitely recommend that book as well. It's a really good book, One Simple Idea. Cool. Nice. Stephen Key, yeah. Very good book. All right. So you invented this, and I know you um, you were on Kickstarter. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Is that is that kind of how you decided to um, get the word out about it and get more funding, or how did that come about? Yeah, basically. I mean, Kickstarter is awesome. I mean, it's not – people just see it as this thing that they can, you know, make some money or get, get some funding on. And it, it's, yeah. it's a good funding platform, yes, but it's also – an amazing um, market validation tool because once you have something on Kickstarter, it will basically tell you, you the market will tell you if your product sucks or if it doesn't suck, you know? Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> because people <laughs> go with their pledges to say, hey, this is awesome. You know, I, you know, I'd pay money for this. I, I'd, you know, I'll give you a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars or a hundred dollars. They actually vote for the dollars and, you know, telling you if your product is viable for mass market production. So that's part of the reason why I went there, just to, yeah, to get funding also, but also to see what people thought of this thing and and also to get feedback because people will tell you, uh, you know, what they think of it. They'll say, well, yeah, this is awesome, but how about, you know, what about this and this? Is it going to work with my phone? Is it going to work this way? Uh, are you going to have accessories to it? Uh, you know, all these things that, you, stuff that I hadn't even thought about that people came to me and told me, hey, you know, uh, what if you offer it in this, in this color, or what if you change this and this? Uh, and so, yeah, you, it's really valuable for for input from from the market, and also, um, yeah, to see if it would actually sell. So, in my case, it was it was a big success. I had um, we asked for um, thirty five thousand dollars in funding, and we got actually one hundred twenty three thousand dollars in funding. Wow! In uh, thirty days, yeah. So it was awesome. We had over twelve hundred pre orders um, from That's all over the world. Uh, coming from, I think any country you can mention. I think any, <laughs> people came in from uh, far and uh, yeah, far away. So 
it was really, really good. Um, got a lot of input, got a lot of um, questions, and, uh, and people actually ordered sometimes more than one unit and for their friends and family. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a good platform to to try it if you have a if you have a physical product. That's cool. Yeah, congrats on that. That's a huge Thanks. success. Yeah. So I've never done anything on Kickstarter. Did you just put the product up there and then just kind of? sit back or i mean do you have to actually do anything to sort of promote it on kickstarter uh yeah i mean you can you, you could you put it up there and sit and wait that's the wrong way to do it okay <laughs> i would imagine yeah. but yeah that's yeah that's the wrong way to do it i mean you you can do that and maybe you'll get a few you know pledges and stuff but uh what you really really should do is prepare ahead of time i, I can't stress enough how preparation is just everything on kickstarter I really recommend starting one or two months ahead if possible, uh, at least a month, maybe more, uh, and prepare because um, the thing is you, you have to get, you know, make sure people know about the product before it goes on Kickstarter. That means, you know, start getting on social media, start posting pictures of it, start building an email list. You know, you can uh, either buy some traffic and send to a list or a landing page that has a video of your product and pictures of it and talks about the benefits and then um, maybe set up a Facebook ad or set up some you know, social media campaign with Twitter or Pinterest or Instagram. Start driving traffic to, um, to a website or landing page where you talk about your, your product. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, this is before your Kickstarter. And you start collecting emails from people and build an email list. And um, this is what I did too and started getting um, signups to this list of people who were actually genuinely interested in this thing. And uh, while I was doing that, also started um, rigorously c contacting uh, various, you know, bloggers and tech sites and and YouTubers and stuff, and and started uh, try, trying to get them to to uh, to talk about it too, and write you know articles about it or get some mentions here and there. Yeah. Um, I built a list of uh, basically a huge list of um, tech bloggers, um, you know, uh, forums, uh, YouTubers. Any kind of influencer that was out there in in the tech field, because my product is you know related to technology, cameras and iPods and GoPros. So I started making a list of all these people who would have uh, you know be interested in, in writing about it or sites that would talk about these sort of things, and basically started you know, writing them and contacting them. And, and uh, I got one review, I got a second review, I got a second article, third article, another review here and there, and it kind of snowballed and actually over time you just, your list grows bigger too because more and more people start seeing and hearing about it mm. and your list grows bigger. Now eventually the thing with your list is once you get ready for your Kickstarter, uh, of course you have to make sure your Kickstarter page in itself looks good and you have to have a good video, yeah. but once your, your page is up and your project is ready, uh, when a day comes you can just uh, take your email list and send out an email and say, hey, um, tomorrow or you know, two days from now, we're about to launch. Um, uh, you're going to have a Kickstarter campaign, and I should also I should also say that before this, like uh, maybe a couple of weeks ahead of time, start building up some anticipation. You know, build some momentum for this campaign, mm -hmm. and prepare people that and tell them that it's, there's going to be a, a Kickstarter campaign here. You know, you can you can pre-order this item, and uh, you know, you guys from my list, you'll get a you know, discount or the first so many people who order will get a discount. And so you build up anticipation, you build up some momentum. Um, so when a day comes, you just shoot out your list and launch it basically. Because when you've done all this preparation work, it really, really pays off. Because now all these people are starting to tell their friends and share it and they already know about it and they're excited about it. 
And that is so much better than having just trying to <laughs> put a page up and <laughs> cross your fingers, you know? Yeah. That... It really makes a world of a difference to, to prepare. Yeah, it's everything. When you're building your list initially like that, do you say um, join the pre-order list or you, do, do you just say join the list to get more info as, you know, uh, as we build this? Actually, yeah, yeah. Both. I mean, it's kind of um, what I did saying, you know, for more information to, you know, to be one of the first who, um, you know, um, to hear about the news, to hear about updates or be one of the first who can pre-order it, mm -hmm. sign up today or sign up into our, to our newsletter. You'll, you'll, you'll be one of the first people to hear about uh, once we launch and once yeah, we uh, make our pre-order on Kickstarter available. And so, yeah, get them excited about it, you know, and uh, be honest, be upfront and tell them everything. Show them the product, show them what it does, and uh, of course, have be ready to answer questions ahead of time too. So, so that when a day comes for your Kickstarter, you're you're ready to um, to answer more questions that people may have had initially. Because I even got you know a bunch of questions before my Kickstarter too from people, and not just questions, but just you know feedback, people suggest things to me on stuff like that. So uh, that really prepared me for uh, to setting up the, the Kickstarter page and making the video look as good as possible and. And sure, the video answered a lot of these questions ahead of time, so that um, so let's say I had a let's say if I just had a shitty video, mm -hmm. I would just be bombarded with questions, you know, if I didn't have that uh, prepared. So really try to answer as much as you can in your in your uh, description, in your project page, in your video, um, in your FAQ if you have that, mm -hmm. and uh, just be prepared. It's all it's about pre preparation. Did you make the and write and script the video yourself, or did you hire someone to? No, I did it all myself, actually. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you did pretty much all this yourself, right, is what I'm yeah. hearing. I mean, that's that's really impressive. That's um, that's awesome. It, you also got a lot of um, a lot of press coverage, and yeah. I know you said you contacted these places. H how did you do that? Did you contact them by sending them a product, or did you just say, hey, would you be interested in checking one of these out? Yes. Yeah. So this goes back to when I was ta uh, talking to manufacturers in China because I wanted to make you know so many units up front, and the reason I did that initially because I knew that at some point I would have to or want to send out some of these things so people can test them, and so I, I told these manufacturers, say, hey, can I have you know 20, 25 units of this part and whatever, and just a limited run, and that was for the sole purpose of. Um, sending out these units to these, you know, bloggers and, and these guys that uh, were influencers, and so yeah, I did actually ship out um, a few units to um, to some of these people and some of these sites, mm -hmm. and they would actually, you know, test them and show them off, and and, uh, and that too would kind of validate um, people's because you know one thing is one thing is having you know like like a rendering or like an image or a photo that's one thing and that's cool but. Once people actually see a video, see the physical item, someone holding it in their hand, and, and not just me holding it in my hand, but actually yeah. some other guy <laughs> that I'm not, you know, uh, you know, some third-party guy who has nothing to gain, uh, he, you know, he shows it off too and talks about it, and they know, oh yeah, this is it's actually a real product. It's actually pretty cool, you know. It's not just a creator bragging about it, but it's you know other people talking about it too. So I, I really recommend doing that if if you have a physical product or you're thinking about doing that. I really recommend having some samples made and, and send them out. Uh, of course, be careful who you send it to because you don't want to send it just to anyone. But uh, try to be a little picky about who you, who you send them to. Of course, you want as much influence uh, or as much reach as possible from these uh, influential people. But yeah, do that for sure. And to figure out how to do that, do you just um, 
I, I don't know, I'm looking on your on your page now, like, um, say any of these sites, do you just basically get their address off the website and ship them a package with a little letter? Is that? Um, not, no, I, uh, I basically um, have a bunch of, I, <laughs> I'm a, a spreadsheet geek, so I have a lot of spreadsheets and everything. Uh -huh. So I, <laughs> I had a separate spreadsheet or several separate spreadsheets for um, these different types of sites and I would have, I would actually outsource some of this work. I didn't do all of it myself. I had um, I outsourced some of the work with uh, collecting, you know, address information. So I would get uh, gather, you know, emails, uh, phone numbers, uh, street addresses, shipping addresses, and then, and of course, names too to these people. So I would write, uh, send out, you know, requests and say, hey, so and so, you know, uh, Jim Bob or so and so, whoever your name is. <laughs> I see, you know, you're writing good articles on, you know, iPod, uh, the latest iPhone or the iPad or the latest GoPro version. And I thought you might be interested in this, you know, check this out. Here's a video. Um, maybe you'd be interested in writing an article about it or, you know, mentioning it on your site. And, uh, you know, if, if you're interested, I'll, I'll be happy to send you a unit. Do you, you know, do you mind uh, giving me your shipping address or is this the right address I have to send it to you? And uh, yeah, just uh, basically gather up a lot of uh, contact information and start contacting uh, people and uh, see if they would want to have a unit to test, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. What what percentage of um, people that you shipped a product to actually did a review on it or some kind of uh, Most of them did. There was a okay. few, uh, I lost a few, I was just, I used the word lost because of I basically lost, I mean, I sent them out and I never heard anything back. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but that was kind of to be expected. I expected some of them to be, you know, they're just, you know, some of them probably get so many things sent to them anyway, so they're kind of, my product, my product kind of drowned in, in, the, in the pile there, but that's okay. I mean, I've expected some loss and that's just part of business. But uh, yeah, most of them actually uh, took the time to, um, either write about it or actually some, you know, posted a video about it. And uh, I'm actually still waiting for a couple of reviews to that. I think it's going to be posted uh, later on. But um, yeah, the most recent one was uh, a site called 925Mac.com, mm -hmm. one of the bigger uh, iPhone, iPad sites out there. Uh, so yeah, they were kind enough to do a nice review on it there. It was one of the guys I sent it to. Very so, cool. Yeah, yeah. Did you get anybody along the way that was like, that's a stupid idea, this is never going to work or anything? Uh, I didn't really get that. Um, other than, if, of course, you, I mean, you do get the occasional comments like, well, this, you know, I've, I've seen this before, doesn't this exist already? And well, mm. I don't need this because I can just use my this and that. And, <laughs> you know, why would I buy this? Because I can just hold my phone in, in, in the hand just fine. I don't need to stabilize it, whatever. You know, you're always going to get that kind of criticism, and people are going to be skeptics, and that's and that's fine. That's just any any business, any product out there gets that kind of you know skepticism or criticism. And I just, to me, I don't take it personal. It's just you know whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well then, then then you know those people aren't my customers anyways. I can you know exactly do something else if they want to. So yeah, I didn't get too many too much of that though. Yeah. Um, I don't want to take up your whole day so oh, <laughs> I could talk about this for a long time. But uh, the other thing I wanted to ask is what what skills you learned in your affiliate marketing days or as an affiliate that helped you um, transition into this and be successful with it? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, yeah, so what I think what really was good for me to have the background of uh, doing online marketing and affiliate marketing uh, is that I learned, you know, you learn how to sell, you know, you, you learn how to 
to take almost anything, any product, any service, like back in my first days, it was, you know, dating offers, ringtone offers, uh, insurance offers. You, you, uh, you learn how to, um, to sell these things to the, to different demographics. And so when I, you know, when you go from, I shouldn't just say I, but anyone going from, or if you, if you are an affiliate and you're thinking about making your own product, you, when you spent, at least when you, when you, when you're paying money for traffic, like you, you have to spend your hard-earned dollars on pay-per-click, you really you're forced to kind of uh, get the most out of that traffic. Every every dollar counts, right? So, you you learn a lot about setting up the right uh, ad creatives, uh, you know, ad copy, landing page copy. Uh, you're writing titles. You're testing different images. You're testing landing pages. All these things come together, and you learn a lot about how to sell anything. I mean, it can be your own product. It can be someone else's product. It can be a service, you know, anything like that. So it really taught me a lot about uh, targeting, about traffic, about, you know, landing page design and ads and all these things come together, I think, to uh, to give you a really good, found, a solid foundation. And that's one of the really good things, I think, about if you like marketing is that it teaches you a lot of skills like that, you know? Mm-hmm. It really teaches a lot of skills and uh, both uh, in, in terms of traffic and traffic sources and as far as... Uh, uh, selling and marketing too. It's it's a really good uh, kind of a step stool to 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 bigger things. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I see a lot of people, um, a lot of affiliates, and they get really frustrated and discouraged because you know they're spending all this money and they're not making a million dollars a day, but they're not. They're forgetting about just like you said, all those skills that they're building that you know yes. are going to help them in whatever they want to go into eventually, whether it's online or offline. I mean, just learning about marketing is. Yeah, um, have a huge advantage. Yeah, it really is huge because I, you know, um, I've seen too uh, many times that <laughs> kind of last count of how many times it's, you know, you meet other business people or business owners who, who they don't they don't have that background and yeah. they'll be yeah. they'll be frustrated and they be like, well, I don't know anything about marketing. I don't know how to sell. You know, and they they try to hire people on Odesk or Fiverr and the Elance and they and I, I try to hire so many marketers and people. I don't know what what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> But if you have that foundation yourself, if you understand some of it, that really, really gives you um, a good foundation for that because you, you know at least some of these things and uh, you spent money on it yourself. You, you've made yourself learn it. And uh, it's, it's a really good thing to have. Like you said, yeah, like some of these frustrated affiliates, they may think they're just you know, losing all their money, blowing it all away. Well, yeah, you may have lost some money, but at least you've gained knowledge. You know, you've mm-hmm. gained experience and knowledge that will you can actually use for forever when uh, you're going to do your own thing. So, yeah, it's really, really valuable. And yeah. and, and I'll add to that, not only that, but uh, for me, uh, both with my, my supplement and also what I'll be doing with the, the stable cam is set up an affiliate program. And having been an affiliate myself, I really know, you know, what affiliates want so I can cater to them and, you know, when it, when uh, affiliates sign up with me and I can say, hey, yeah, I, I was an affiliate myself one day. I know exactly what you're after. And, you know, how can I help you and how can you help me? Let's, you know, make this work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you can see, you know, both sides of the, uh, both sides of the pond. Yeah, I think uh, one of the really cool things about your story is just how, I mean, you basically did the whole thing yourself. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I mean, you're a really sharp guy, but I'm sure your affiliate marketing background really helped that too. And like, you know, I've done consulting with individuals or companies or whatever, and 
it's crazy that how much stuff they hire. I mean, they think they have to hire oh, yeah. a social media manager for a hundred thousand a year and this yeah. and that. And I'm like, well, why are you paying this person, you know, $5,000 a month to make a few posts on your Facebook page? It's just insane. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it, it can get really expensive to hire, like you said, all these consultants and all these people to do all these things. But when you have that knowledge, that's, I mean, that's free knowledge that, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't free, I guess, when you, <laughs> for initially, sure. but it's free for the rest of your life as soon as you know it you know and and uh, you know technologies might change i mean ad platforms might change they might change the rules things change in the world of the internet it's, it's you know every day there's a new thing but at, at the bottom of it there's still when you have when you have the knowledge of selling the, the principles of selling are always the same you know and they're timeless you know you can, you can look at like books on marketing that were written in you know 1910 and it's, it's the same principles as we yeah. use today, you know, it's this timeless uh, information and knowledge that you can always uh, use. So regardless of what technology is coming though, you know, so. That's true. Yep. Yeah, great point. Well, I'll just close by asking, what does the future hold for you? Do you want to um, invent more products and stuff? I mean, I imagine this is going to keep you busy for quite a while, but what, what would you like to do when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so when I grow up, I uh, no, I, uh, yeah, no, it's a good question. I think I um, right now I really want to grow this uh, the, the company, the, the the product. It's my number one thing right now. It's my baby. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to really blow that up. I want to start selling it internationally, and in the United States, of course, everywhere. I want to make it available uh, for anyone to buy, and I want to expand it as well with more accessories, uh, more. Uh, similar products that are going to go under the same brand and uh, be growing that. Uh, I, I don't know about myself, 5, 10, 15 years from now, maybe I'll be onto another invention or another uh, company. Who knows what it uh, sure. brings. But uh, yeah, for now, it's, uh, that's definitely my number one focus to, to grow this uh, as big as I possibly can grow it. Yeah, that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur. You never really get bored of doing the same thing because there's so many opportunities. There, yeah, totally. I mean, I have, I still have a list of things I would love to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I write down ideas and I stuff. Well, what about this and that? But I, you know, you really have to focus on one thing at a time. It's, it's tempting though to, you know, to jump on two or three things at the same time. But oh, sure. it really is not a good idea. I mean, you have to stay focused. You have to stay on one track. Even if there's something over there that looks shiny, or you talk to your friend who's making, you know, three times as much as you, or doing something cool, you really can't let yourself stray and, oh, well, maybe I should try that instead. And it, it, you know, you should never do that. Just as long as you have faith in your product and people want it, at least stick it out and, you know, try to make it happen. Uh, stay focused day to day, and you'll get somewhere. I mean, it, it's it, it'll pay off. You know, mm -hmm. it's definitely. Um, the best advice I can give is stay focused and uh, don't uh, don't follow everything that's shiny and uh, you know shiny object syndrome yeah I agree that's yeah definitely great advice that everybody needs to take to heart yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well I want to thank you for doing this podcast um, I learned a lot and it was it was really great and you have a really cool story congrats on all your success thanks and thank um, you for having me again I say that it was nice real nice to be on here and uh, it's really, really fun. I had fun talking to you.